story woman I am a healer and my soul will never die We are an old family We are a new family We are the same family Stronger than before And we honor you and empower you To be who you are We honor you and empower The Circle of Birth Podcasts Reclaiming our birth potential with ancient wisdom and stories from birth and beyond. Sharing the rich spectrum of family diversity and transformation. Stories worldwide bringing together community and connectivity. Come together with story medicine and inspire at our unique birth journeys. We breathe, we birth, we become. Welcome to episode 50. I actually can't believe I'm saying episode 50. And it's at two, it's been nearly two years. So, wow, I'm here, I'm still doing it. And I know a few months ago I was had the intent to wrap it all up and keep the podcast out there, of course, but not to bring anything in as life became that proverbial plate spilling over and out and I was fragmenting myself and I was thinking that this was the thing to let go and as soon as I said it, of course, all these opportunities opened up and all these messages came to me from people and that this is far bigger than me, this whole project. And if I can let go of the pressure of having to get it out each week and having to sustain myself all the time um, to do that or I can just be with it and know that, I will get around to doing it when I feel my most creative and when I feel, I guess, that best part of myself wanting to reach there and having these conversations. And out of all 50 conversations, I've always jumped off of my desk and have been so elated. And this is the message that I put into this podcast to get out and they take a long time to edit and I just thank everyone that's given me feedback because it's the people that have come to me and said that what's come out of it for them has really, I guess, shifted me still doing it here today and I feel that I can still hold that space and want to dearly talk to all the over 150 list of people that I've got there Um But, yeah, thank you. 50 episodes celebration. Yay. And what better way to celebrate than this beautiful, beautiful episode with a woman named Emily and a film called These Are My Hours. This is the first documentary filmed entirely during the labour. So could you ever imagine having your whole house just set up with cameras, um, a film crew sleeping up the road nearby anticipating the moment that Emily goes into labour for that phone call. And I guess it's something, it is, you know, this is something so sacred, so intimate and so powerful to a primal woman's rite of passage. So Emily's just gone beyond and above in this episode and explained what it was like to birth her fourth baby um, with a film crew and with sharing something so sacred to the world And I utterly, utterly cannot wait for this film. And um, I was just so honoured that Scott, the director and producer, got to me 
and we organised to talk to Emily and this story is amazing. Um, she'll take us through all of her births and we'll talk about the film. So I'll leave you to it. Enjoy, enjoy. And don't forget to check out the blog. If you go to the Circle of Birth blog and you'll get all the links to how to stream the film on Mother's Day and also how to connect with These Are My Hours. Hi, Emily. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the Circle of Birth uh, podcast. Now, you are the star of the upcoming <laughs> documentary. So, this will be released um, before the documentary is out called These Are My Hours, which is out on the 12th of May, Mother's Day. Is that right? It's the 13th, 13th. of May, I believe. Yep. Okay, 13th of May, which will be streamed live and I'll put all the links in the show notes. So big welcome to you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This is my first appearance on a podcast talking about this film. So I'm uh, really grateful to have this opportunity. Yeah, I emailed you guys um Oh, it was months ago, and uh, Scott, your director, producer, director, both, uh, yes, both, uh, got back to me, and we talked, and then I got hooked up with you, and so yeah, this is fantastic. Now, firstly, I just have to say that the photo that you guys are using at the moment for your media of you um, with the orange top. Um, roaring is just mm -hmm. so powerful. How do you feel when you see yourself in that photo? Wow. Well, it's one of my favorite still shots from the film. And I think it's because women often look like that when they're giving birth. And we don't often see those pictures. We see a lot of really serene, beautiful pictures. And of course, I love those too. And I have those too from the film. But I really appreciate not shying away from the challenge that birth provides us. And even the pain and like the treachery, you know, in the moment. Um, I really appreciate that about birth. And I just love that it's captured so clearly in that photo. Yeah, I mean, it just speaks to so many dimensions, not of birth, but of women and of what our societal and cultural beliefs are of how women should behave, um, not Absolutely. just in birth, but in general. And, you know, that roar is, you, you're roaring for so many reasons there. And I can just <laughs> see it, you know, and it's just, it's beautiful because birth is that we're a big shell that we crack each time that we transition um, for these experiences. So, yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, powerful photo. Well, thank you so much. You know, we had a lot of feedback early on when um, especially people that weren't familiar with birth and they were really blown away by the intensity. I mean, if you could boil all of the feedback and kind of the, the essence of the film down to one word, I think that would probably be it. And it was interesting because it sounded to me like using the word that was intense was like, I don't know, coded with a little bit of a critique or negativity. And it was interesting. I thought, oh, it's because I'm a woman. I shouldn't be this intense. 
that's something that's reserved for men. And um, so, of course, I was delighted to be pushing back against that. <laughs> so tell me, your, so this was your fourth baby when doing this film. I would love to get to the point of how this happened and how, you know, you had this conversation. But tell me about your imprint of birth. What was your birth like? Yeah, so I was my mother's first baby and I was very wanted and I was consciously created. Uh, My mother loved being pregnant except that it was summertime. So she was, she had no air conditioning. She was very hot and very big, even though I was small. Um, and my birth was really straightforward. The only thing that I think really stands out to me is that my mother was given Demerol, um, I guess without her consent or knowledge. What's what's Demerol? It's a a narcotic. Okay. Yep. I suppose in her IV, I don't think she really knows. She just suddenly felt very loopy and was confused. It was kind of hanging on my dad's clothing. And um, she really hated the feeling of that. Um, And she went on to have two, I have two younger sisters and both of their births were completely unmedicated. And she, despite the fact that I, you know, that this had happened against her consent, which she didn't tell me until I was an adult, but she never imprinted me with any negativity around pregnancy or, or having an infant or breastfeeding. She nursed all of us. I have pictures of myself nursing a baby doll when my sister was a baby. And, um, yeah, I just, I never had any concept that it was something to be feared. It never crossed my mind. And do you think that's now, in retrospect, do you feel like that's the way that your mother explained the story to you as well, like after? Yeah, I think she really enjoyed it, honestly. I think she thought it was a wonderful thing that she did. I don't think that she was overwhelmed by the pain or the discomfort of even the birth. And she really like kind of made me look forward to doing it myself. Yeah. I I just feeling like you're in this really, um, especially when this uh, film comes out, this adversarial role now and just really thinking back to your mother, what she gifted you there has maybe had an effect of where you are now. Do you feel that? Oh, absolutely. I'm so grateful. I mean, I didn't know to be grateful because to me it was just normal, of course, but listening to so many women now tell their stories of their own birth or of what they heard people tell them about birth, um, I'm really blown away by how much she saved me from having to undo. And I don't know if she knew it was such a big deal when she did it either. I don't think it was like, I don't want my daughter to have fear. I think she just thought, well, that was really cool, you know. Uh, yeah, there was nothing wrong with that at all. I could do that again. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> what a beautiful gift. And again, like oh. you said, it makes the work less for you and it makes it probably more easier to step into the role that you're stepping into. Um, 
now for other women. Yeah. So, okay. Now you, so fourth baby, um, could you give us a little overview of your journey from your first pregnancy to baby number four and stepping into this, this film? Sure. So all of my babies have been born at home and before I was ever ready to get pregnant, before I even had a life partner, I had a friend who was pregnant and she told me she was planning a home birth and I had never really thought about the particulars of birth before I knew I wanted children from a very young age, but I didn't think about the practical matter of how that would happen And as soon as she said home birth, it was like, oh, obviously that's what I'll do. I didn't need to research or anything. It was like, I don't know. I just remembered that that was the way I would do it. That was that easy. So I actually found a midwife online before I was pregnant. Uh, So I, you know, would have that kind of tucked away for when the time came. And were you in the same area, South Carolina? No, I was living in Pennsylvania at the time. And what was the you know, my, care? What was just give us a little care, like overview of was it easy to find a midwife or was it quite restrictive at that time? There, um, so I found a midwife. I was on the Pennsylvania New York border. I found a midwife in New York. And I think the laws were a little different, but now nurse midwives, which is what she is, have complete autonomy to practice. So they don't need to follow the regulations of an obstetrician, which was, is really great for them. Um, but she was far away from me. She was around two hours and she really tried to dissuade me from hiring her because taking a first, now I know taking a first time mom two hours away could be a lot of time spent far from home. Uh, But I said, you know, there isn't anybody else. It has to be you. So she agreed and became my midwife. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And okay. And then so how did the relationship progress in that pregnancy being your first time? I was a drama queen. (laughs) And like I, no, I think I went to the hospital for round ligament pain and you know, the midwife, she was great, but she was thinking like, oh my goodness, she was like, you know, making notes on my chart, like (laughs) expecting that there could be some drama or situations at the birth, you know, (laughs) first time mom, my husband, I'm very small. My husband's very big. So she's like, okay, the points are stacking up against her. Of course she didn't say this to me. Um, but you know, she's, she's making herself little notes. And so when my water broke two weeks before I was due, which was a surprise to all of us. And I called her in the middle of the night, like, oh, my water broke. And she was like, that is so great. You should go back to sleep, you know? (laughs) And so eventually I did, of course. I was like, are you crazy? I'm going to have a baby. Um, But when I, I fell asleep and I woke up like six hours later and, you know, the contractions had started and they started progressing very quickly. And I was like, you, oh my gosh, you need to call the midwife. She needs to come. And I think she felt like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to go over there already. I'm probably going to spend two days at her house. You know, she's having her first baby and she has all this baggage that she's bringing. Uh, And 
we called her back and I was like, she needs to come right now. And so she heard my voice and was like, oh, I better come. And she was there only for two hours before I had the baby. Oh, wow. Wow. So the whole labor was about six hours, which was also not something I was expecting. How was it? What uh, can you tap back into? I know you're up to four now. Can you tap back yeah. into that first oh. moment where, you you know, you, you already were a mother when you conceived, but that first moment that you actually held yeah. your babe? I'll never forget that as long as I live, Allie. <laughs> I, of course, she was born in the pool and I picked her up and like out of the water, I could feel her weight settling into my hands and like I could feel her head I can still remember exactly the way her head felt in my left hand and like it felt so familiar but so odd I just thought this is my child this is my child and like I I had to keep thinking it like it didn't make sense to me how that had just happened and I was thinking I kind of need a second to like get ready for this. You know, I went into labor and I did all that, but I forgot to think about becoming a mother at the end of the birth. And I really thought, I wish that I could just have a, a gap in between there yeah, uh, to release yeah. the pregnancy and the birth and then start this next thing. And, um, and of course I do see women do that now. And I think it's more difficult in, in the water because you can't like have your baby down. Um, but I really craved that. So then you, how long after to, you introduced your next babe into your life? He, uh, my next baby was born about two, maybe two and a half-ish years later. Uh, and I used the same midwife. We lived in the same house and, you know, the same pool. Well, the other pool had probably been popped or something, but it was the same pool. And he was born very quickly. So, of course, so let me back up. My six-hour labor, it was perfect. I mean, it was hard. You know, the end got hard, got real. Um, But I couldn't believe – I was just, like, flying high on the just – gloriousness of my experience. And I was like proselytizing all over town and telling everyone pregnant that they should have a home birth and, you know, and everyone was very annoyed with me. I was just about to say, how was that received? (laughs) Very poorly. But I couldn't help it. I was like, I was smitten. And um, so, of course, I planned the same thing the next time. And this baby came in about 90 minutes and, you know, people, the midwife barely made it. She was there only a couple of minutes. And, um, I had invited a bunch of people to come. So I really like people to be around me. My sisters were there and I had a friend, the home birth girl from before she was there and my daughter was there and it was like so rip roaring. It just like, it cracked me open in a way I could not have expected and I can barely describe. I mean, if someone has ever had a really, really fast birth, they know what I'm talking about. Like it's, you can't, it takes you days to even process that you had a baby. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. A lot of people wouldn't want to do that. Got it. 
<laughs> and I kind of like <laughs> shut up a little bit and thought if someone wants to ask me, I'm here, but I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to push this on people because that was really hard. So I feel like that was the lesson that I needed to get. Uh, and you know, he brought that to me through his birth. Yeah. I need well, to humble myself a little bit. Yeah. And so what, what with your first birth, did, did you get a sort of an idea of a lesson from that, that, that experience as well? Yeah. That, that birth was like my life path. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, so transition, like transitioning into your third baby and how were things yeah. for you then? And tell us a story. Tell us a story. Yeah. So I had moved to South Carolina mm-hmm. um, when I was to, pregnant. Do you want to just talk about what South Carolina's um, like currently and then for birth options? Yeah, and women? it's yeah. about the same. So South Carolina is a little less strict. They allow licensing here for non-nurse midwives. Um, and it depends who you are, if that works for you or not. You know, if you're a normal, healthy, thin, not having a VBAC, having one baby that's head down, you know, all the things, if you fit into the box uh, and you don't mind the, the regulations that are in place, then it's really great because there's a lot of midwives. They take insurance. Um, the doctors work with that. You know, the hospitals know them. It's kind of like a cool situation. Um, and then for the women that are outside of that, you know, it's like it is everywhere else. Where you might find someone, you might not. You might be coerced into something that you don't want. Yeah. So, what would you pay in U.S. dollars to have? Um, a non-nurse midwife? Oh, I'm not sure here. Um, they take insurance. So I think honestly, it's like whatever the insurance companies pay, which is a really horrible system, but that's the way it is here. So they will bill the insurance company, whatever they bill. And then the insurance company decides what to pay and some pay better, some pay worse. Yeah. And so then the other options is, um, like midwives that are not in the system? Is there many right. of them around too? There's not many. Uh, there's usually not as many in places where there's licensure because there's an option where you can kind of play by the rules and be in the system and take insurance. And it's a lot easier for people. Insurance is now required in our country. So it's people are happy to be able to use it and not have to pay cash. Most people that pay cash for their midwife pay depending on where they live, between three and $6,000. Okay, yeah. And what would you pay, just trying to wrap my head around it, if you went into the hospital and just had uh, like obstetrician care or midwifery care? Mm, I mean, you would probably pay with your insurance. I don't know if you could afford it, 10000 for a straightforward birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... 45, I don't know, you know, and it goes up and up depending on what procedures they do and what complications there are and yeah. so on. And so if you were pregnant and your insurance would depend on your wage, like what money you earned, is that how it works or? No, you're, uh, I mean, it just depends how much, what type of insurance you buy. So some of them pay more and you pay like nothing out of pocket but you're paying more every month and you know, it's all, it's very different. 
so everyone has kind of a unique situation, which makes everything even more confusing. Okay, right. And do you just feel, last question, do you feel that uh, as a mother and your community around you um, that the actual system is supportive in transfers, like if it was a home birth transfer or collaboration and things like that, do you find it in your area supportive? I think transfer of care is usually pretty smooth because we have a teaching hospital in the town I live in and it seems like it goes smoother there because there's residents and, uh, you know, often they're just here temporarily. So they're not really too committed to the birth, the birth culture here and they are just happy to get cases and to learn. And so if something's a little more complicated, then, you know, they just think, Oh, now we're going to see this and they kind of take care of it. Um, and so, I think most of the people I've heard who have transferred to the hospital have a pretty good experience as much as you can, of course. Okay. So back to you and back in, let's evolve back into your story again. Can you just paint a picture when you moved and you were expecting um, your third baby? What, What sort of role did you play for the work that you're doing, were you um, having an adversarial role at that point or connecting with other people, other women, other families, that type of thing? Uh, when I moved here to South Carolina? Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I, have, I had been working with my midwife for the first two births up north and had been attending births with her as her apprentice and her assistant uh, through the birth of my second child and all the way until I moved. So that was almost three years I did that. And then I moved here and my husband bought a business and was working all the time. And, you know, I was home with two little children. And so I kind of took a break and then I found a way to study online. And so I was doing that, but it was kind of individual. So I wasn't really involved in the, in the birth scene here until after I had my first baby here. And I found a midwife, uh, a local midwife, and um, she was great. Uh, I really knew how I birthed by that time. I knew that it would probably be fast, that I would be loud, that I didn't want anyone to touch me. I had a pattern. I kind of understood my birthing persona by that time. Were you Um, at all... Uh, you know, after your 90-minute birth where you had a bit of concern that it was going to feel like that again for this next baby? I did. (laughs) I always do (laughs) after that one, yes. Um, And it did. It was, um, you know, marginally longer. I think maybe his birth was two or two and a half hours. And he... So I had learned, I studied with Wapio. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. her work. Yep. Yeah, I'll definitely so link her to. Mm, yes. Yeah. Uh, her holistic stages of birth is like one of the most beautiful things you can read about birth. And I had studied with her and I was studying with her through my pregnancy. And I realized my births are so fast. I don't get the quiescence. It's like this moment between opening all the way and pushing out your baby. It's like, you know, you see women fall asleep. 
And I was like, I've never done that before. And I like, it kind of, and I don't have a return either. It's like, I don't have any of the quiet things. I have all of the really <laughs> powerful, crazy things. And I don't have those quiet moments. And, um, you know, I wonder, you know, what is that about? And I want to try to cultivate that this time. And so the birth wasn't like that at all. It was very fast. And he was born with a nuchal hand. So his hand out with his head, you know, kind of next to his face. And it was very, very dark. It was two in the morning. And so no one could really see that his head was born except me. I was kind of, you know, crouching down near the floor. And I felt down and I could feel his little hand and it like held on to my finger. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And like, I can't say anything because, of course, there's like a baby half out of my body. So I'm just like, (laughs) "Uh, uh," you know. But I'm like looking around at everyone and they're just kind of looking at me quietly. And I'm just thinking, I want to be able to tell you what's happening so bad. And I couldn't. There was no words in that moment. So he was born and he didn't cry. And he came out with a lot of blood. My placenta, I think, was very low. And maybe it was starting to separate right before he was born. So he kind of came out in a sea of blood. And it was like warrior paint all over my face and all over And he had pooped and it was like, there was poop on my face. And it was like just this huge mess and he didn't cry. And I could feel everyone was very nervous. And I noticed everyone's nervous. They need him to cry. I know he's fine because he just held my hand. He's totally fine. I, oh, I need to pick him up so he'll cry so everyone will relax. And like, I did that. And I like, kind of like blew gently on his face, like, you know, and he cried a little bit. And then I kind of laid him back down and I kind of drifted back away. Uh, you know, just my consciousness went back into the relaxed wherever zone, the birth realms for another minute or so that, that pause that I wanted in my first birth. And this baby was born like on land you know, just on the floor. Um, and later I thought, oh, I didn't get the return. I didn't get the quiescence. And then I, I realized I totally did. And what Wapio talks about, which is that a woman who's giving birth is able to really travel through all of the different brainwave states so fluidly, and she can exist in all of them at the same time. And I realized I had done that. I had noticed the room made of conscious choice connected with my baby acted on it went back out like it was nothing and I was like oh I've been expecting it to be some exact particular thing that looks some specific way and I'm missing this really beautiful powerful thing that I'm capable of doing just because it looks different um, and it was beautiful. Just makes me think too that you had the opportunity to explore that. Um, had you been, you know, like you said, that the sort of worry came up, um, but it wasn't pounced upon. So no one grabbed your baby, cut the cord, and ran off. Um, you had that time oh. to initiate that and go into that space, which you, you, you know that that gave you that gift to be able to explore those things that you wanted to consciously bring about in your labor and birth experience. 
I have had the most wonderful women brought into my life. You know, my mother gives me this gift. And then I find these two midwives and I didn't even know about undisturbed birth or, you know, any of this stuff when I first got going. Of course, now that's my whole shtick, but I didn't know that's what I wanted. I just knew I wanted to have my baby at home and not kind of have to do all of that stuff, like the assembly line stuff. And I've never had someone take my baby. I've never had someone like clamp the cord or, uh, or any of that stuff. Never had them like reach in and bother me. And like with my mom, I didn't know what a huge deal that was until looking back and hearing other women's stories. Yeah, it's so, so important to, to talk about, isn't it? Because um, it really comes back to the mother's innate knowledge and innate wisdom during that process. Like you said, you knew intuitively that your little babe was okay because you were like holding his hand. His, her? Was it girl? His. His, mm-hmm. his hand uh, as he was coming out and it was like you had this moment where, okay, I'll just sort out that thing that everyone's kind of <laughs> concerned because right. you could feel the energy and that's the other thing too. People right. don't even have to touch you. It's just the energy that surrounds you that, mm-hmm. um, you know, can also have that effect. So, and I just love that transition. You're just like, okay, I'll sort this out and then, you know, I can get my – go back into my, <laughs> my land that I need to do. <laughs> it's, right. It's so yeah. impressive, right? Like, whoa. Yeah. And I, some, I can't do that in my normal life yeah. that seamlessly. <laughs> no. That's the, the, the most powerful ability that we have, like, um, to tap into that space. And uh, I'm sure there's a way that we can – bring it about in our day-to-day lives somehow. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we do. I'm I guess we do. But talking yeah. about this. Yeah. 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 You're listening to the Circle of Birth podcast, circleofbirth.com. So... Yeah. Tell me then, um, into this next pregnancy, was it your fourth baby a boy or a girl? It was, it's a girl, a girl? but yep. she wasn't my next pregnancy. I did okay, have yeah. a lot of miscarriages trying to conceive her. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a bit? I do. I do. So I thought maybe I'd be done having babies after I had my third I had like, you know, a big cry about it and everything. And um, then suddenly that was not the case anymore. I just woke up one day and I knew I'd have another baby. And I, before I conceived her, I had like kind of this waking dream, you know, it's like halfway in between. And uh, she came to me in a way that I can't articulate really clearly, but um, she said that she was a girl and she was coming and she told me what her name was. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. Okay. That's never happened before. Um, So I just assumed when I had a baby, it would be a girl. And uh, I've never really had any trouble getting pregnant and it was no different this time. 
but the problem was staying pregnant. So I would, I conceived five times over the course of a year after agreeing to be the subject of this film and couldn't carry the pregnancy past six weeks. Um, so it's almost every other month I would conceive and miscarry and conceive and miscarry. And it was one of the most intense things I have ever done. I mean, people want to ask, what is it like having cameras at the birth? And I was already ready for that because all these people were waiting for me to get pregnant. You know, this film was going to happen, but I just had to get pregnant. And so I, I told Scott every time I conceived and then I had to tell him when I miscarried and every time I told him, I thought, he's just going to tell me he can't do this anymore. He's going to find another subject. And he never did. And I was very grateful. Um, but I like I would send pictures of, of my face crying, text them to him. And it was, I mean, when, to say that we have gotten to know each other over the course, it's been three years for us now. And he saw all of that with me. Um, and so it felt very much like when we got to the birth and it was the morning after the birth and we stopped recording, it's like, we just had like a two year pregnancy together. <laughs> Whoa, it happened. You know, we got it. <laughs> and it was, yeah. During the time when you were miscarrying, did you keep going back to that dream? Like, was it, was it so strong that calling in that you just knew that, um, she was coming? I did. And, you know, I sort of after a while got the sense that it was her always, every time I got pregnant, and that she was telling me that I needed to do something or, I don't know, there was a message. Like one time I got a message that I was too controlling and that that wasn't going to work for her and she wasn't going to come if I didn't figure that out. And, you know, and I'm in the bathtub crying on vacation and I'm miscarrying again. And so I hear this kind of thought or message or, or whatever. And so immediately I'm like, oh, oh, okay, that's something tangible. I can do that. I can stop being controlling. So I'll do that and then I'll do that and then I'll get pregnant and then I'll be able. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm being controlling yeah, right just now. Controlling. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, message received. <laughs> and I had a good laugh at myself. Uh, but, you know, there was, it, was, it wasn't all like that. It was, it was very trying. I feel like I explored every single thing you could explore, you know, with hormones and, and like, you know, everything that people said, hypno-babies and this kind of thing and diet and, um, yeah, meditation. Like I spent hours researching and yeah, I don't know if any of it helped any of the things I did or if she decided to come. I mean, she came right after we had our election, which I found to be an interesting thing for like a fiery personality. Like I'm not afraid of patriarchy showing up in our politics I'm going to come right then that's exactly when I'm going to show up oh yeah awesome I love that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um 
I did an interview with a beautiful woman named Faye Reed, and it's funny, she uh, really describes a similar story to you um, during her pregnancies, and she had um, a lot of little tasks to do with each pregnancy, um, like very connective, like baby was sending messages all the time, she had to do all these things, mm. but she did describe that due, during one of her miscarriages that the strong message was that the baby was trying to find the right body and the right fit. And um, similar to what you said about the messages of like being controlling or this or this or this, that she knew that it wasn't the right time and she had to she had to have that experience to get that message, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it just does, really. Yeah, it yeah. does make sense. And it really, um, it kind of rattled me because I didn't even know if I believed in that possibility that the soul of a baby could choose to come in and out of bodies at will or whatever, you know, whatever was going on. Like I didn't, that wasn't a belief system that I held before that experience. It's a belief system that was created by that experience because I know it happened. And so I had to like also grapple with, you know, these existential questions. Like, did we all choose to come in where we are? Yeah. Um, yeah. And like stuff is just, you know, like way yeah. huge. So yep. I think this child is going to be a very special person uh, in what she brings to my life yeah. throughout our time together here. Yeah. And what she'll stand for in that. Um, unraveling and reframing of the paradigm of, like you said, the mm-hmm. patriarchal um, into a matriarchal world and just standing into a fiery power. So, And what better child to be born into this film? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so tell me, um, I, Scott is not going to join us. Um, could you give us a little background on him and how you guys met? Because um, I'd love sure. to know just what, why, what you're telling me with during those pregnancies and um, you seem to have a really good connection. So if you can tell me a bit of his history and how you guys met, that'd be great. So Scott, uh, he is a filmmaker. He's a documentary filmmaker and his partner, I guess I wouldn't know, maybe his writing partner. He met this woman in college, Gracie, and she had her babies at home. And he got together with her shortly after the birth of one of her children and asked her to, you know, tell him about the birth. How did it go? And she told the tale and he kind of was agape at her. Like, that is the most amazing story I've ever heard. That's the hero's journey why is there not a story about this? Like, why aren't people talking about birth all the time? Why is there not a movie and a play? Like, where is this story in literature? And she was like, oh, baby, you need to make it. And it kind of was on the shelf for a while. And so I don't know how he decided it was time now, but he was living in Asheville, North Carolina, which is just about an hour from me. And starting to talk to mothers and midwives and doulas about birth and, you know, kind of getting the feeler for if, if they knew anyone who might, you know, want a whole documentary crew like this dude to come to their birth. <laughs> uh, so one of the women who studied with Wapio 
while I studied was a friend of his there. And she said, Oh, you got to talk to Emily. Um, because she knew I was doing some birth work here. And so he called me kind of to ask me if I knew anybody who would, you know, who wanted, who was pregnant and who would be willing to participate in. We're having a phone conversation. I'm saying to myself, we had just decided to, to have another child like a month before this. And I'm saying in my head, don't just say, I'll do it. I'll do it. Like, let, let it ride, you know? And, you know, before you know it, I'm like, I'll do it. Uh-huh. I, so, so we met for tea and like, I brought pictures of my birth. And of course I was like nude and he was like, okay, so we're getting into that already, are we? Um, and we had a long conversation and yeah, he decided to, he heard me, the way he tells it, he heard me tell a birth story of a birth I had attended to this group of women. We brought him to the, like the birth circle in Asheville, um, and kind of allowed him to come even though he was a guy. And I told a birth story and he really loved the birth story. And so he said, that's what made him choose me, select me as a subject. And our long journey began. Wow. And are you a very gut-driven person? So was your gut instinct like, yes, um, go for this? Yeah. Yeah. Right away. Yeah. And so then he was like, okay, that's fine, but I need to meet your partner because I think his big worry was like, how's a guy going to take it? You know, I'm a guy, I'm trying to come in and bring a camp, a huge camera, you know, I'm not going to work. And my husband is one of the most laid back people around. So he and he loves birth. He just adores home birth. So he got a really good sense when he met Scott too. And he kind of in the first meeting with Scott was like, "Let's sign up." This is it, isn't it? Um, I think too. We need to remember that uh, I've interviewed a few males on this podcast, and one of them um, is a psychologist, and he talked about what it's like for a man to be in awe of a woman in birth Mm. and to have those men in your space in absolute awe of you is something else. And this is why, like, you know, we need to have this and have the men involved so that they can get together and um, spread the message as well. Like what, you know, what amazing support you had to have two men in just absolute awe of women in birth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Allie, it wasn't even just two. I mean, this, so some people say, a lot of women say there's no room for men in birth. They don't want to hear from them. They don't want to, you know, include them. This is women's work. And I get what they're saying. But also, I had this crew. So Scott could tell you exactly how many. I think there were seven of them, maybe eight of them at my house while I was giving birth. Um, you know, and that's his people. I had my people too. Um, and I think five of them were men and only one of them had a child. Only one of the men had a child and his child was born by cesarean. So none of them had ever seen, no, one of them had worked on a, on the, on a birth show, like a hospital birth show as a camera guy before. So he had seen that side of birth. Um, wow. very medicalized. And of course the cesarean's very medicalized. So none of these men had ever seen a birth, like a, 
undisturbed, unmedicated birth. And there was also a woman, a young woman with no children. And I felt like, so that was one of the most exciting things for me to have these people there. Like, I felt like, oh, I don't know the makings of my crone starting, right? Like, I could see what it would be like to be the the woman, the wise woman, right? Yeah. And gather all the young ones and I'm going to show them some things. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was so great and you know what they were amazing. Wapio came and talked to them and told them the story of birth through her holistic stages and they were captivated of course because she's the most wonderful speaker and um they were like the most silent, respectful like they didn't, I didn't know they were there. They were so patient. I mean, I guess they were perfect because they kind of wanted the birth to take as long as it did and to be as wild or loud or whatever it was going to be, because that's what they were doing. So they were in no rush for the birth to happen. They were there for the labor, really, and not for the baby. And I think that made them really perfect witnesses because they were just happy to let it be. They were excited for, they would have been happy if it went on for another five hours. Probably they would have gotten a lot more footage. Um, and I think it's the opposite. Even our loved ones, they're kind of wanting the baby to come out. They want to see the baby. They want it to happen. And these guys wanted to let it be. And their energy was just so patient and they were like perfect doulas in that sense. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My head is exploding because I (laughs) think back to that energetics of birth. Like you said, um, when your son was born and holding your hand and you know, the people around, um, getting a little bit of worry and you had to fix that for a second. And, and then just thinking of that, that people are just basking in your, in your, wanting more of it, not wanting an outcome to happen really quickly because they feel uncomfortable around it, they're totally cool with it and you could feel that whole energy. And that's the thing, when people are uncomfortable about what we said at the start with that photo, it makes some people uncomfortable. But when people can reframe that and see it in awe and in all the beauty and presence that it is and want more of it, then holy moly, like that's world-shifting stuff, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. And, you know, then my postpartum was the most blissful that I have ever had. I mean, I also knew what to do better, so I kind of prepared myself better. But I also just the energetic attention that my birth was getting because people were like fussing over the footage and, make you know, like the attention was still coming. And so I just felt, even if they weren't physically with me, I was still so open to all of that energy because of course you don't slide back into normal life. You're kind of in the ethereal for a while after birth, right? So I could feel all that coming my way and I just felt so blissed out for such a long time. Yeah. Awesome. You got extra bliss time. I totally (laughs) did. And I thought, oh my gosh, why don't we all have like if everyone could be this excited about a birth happening, yeah, what we could do for women. Yeah, what it can do for women, your parenting, the community. Like it just, if a woman is safe and supported and gets to have that feeling, 
in birth, no matter what the outcome or what need, what sort of care needs to happen for her, what that does to a society is this is like what um, Scott's quote is, isn't it? It begins in the womb, the revolution. Right. Yeah. So, so epic. And can I talk about the birth? Just backtrack a bit. Um, can you talk about like what it was like in the birth, how long the birth went for and how was it when they all came in? Because you got had quick births, so you're probably mm-hmm. expecting that to happen again. I'm just trying to think <laughs> how was it like with them all setting everything up? Were they like, okay, quick, get over yeah. here? And, or was it all set yes. up? Or, yeah. <laughs> <Both>. <laughs> so they, they came to my house a week about 10 or so days before I was due. So of course I'm like, here's the window. Anything could happen, of course. And so they came to town. It ended up to be about six days before she was born. And they had been sending all of this equipment. These amazing companies were donating this like fabulous, fancy equipment because they kept thinking of these really cool, innovative ideas. Like they built a whole dolly system up on the ceiling or a, I don't know what it's called, but it's like tracks wow. going down both directions and there's wheels and it's moving around and a camera moves and it can move up and down like seamlessly. And it was like this big thing. And they, so they had to like drill it into the ceiling and set up all the, you know, the stuff that you have to do with a set. They had lights and shades outside in case the sun was coming in. And, um, you know, because there's only, they had to do everything just in case of anything because get one shot and we don't want to blow it because we didn't put the shades up. So, um, they were at my house like every day, all day kind of setting up their stuff. And that got challenging for me. So I was getting really in the mode, you know, and there were people there. They wanted to talk about stuff and I was like, I'm not going to talk about stuff. I'm going to go in my bedroom, shut the door. That would have been challenging for your nesty sort of mode, wouldn't it? They all got really nervous. They kind of left and they were like panicked. They they could come back. And I was like, oh, I'm just crying because I'm pregnant. It's fine. Um, They were great. I mean, they they asked me to do stuff. And if I said it was too much, they were like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. We'll figure out another way. Um, But anyway, so they there were three cameras and there was like, we had one of my children's bedrooms totally cleared out and it was like their sound studio. And there was like all this equipment. They had to buy a padlock. So my kids couldn't get in. It was like this really expensive equipment in there. How did your kids take it? Were they Um, really wrapped about this or? Yeah, they, the, the crew was great. They like let the kids drive the this like big camera on this huge dolly. They like taught the kids how to use it and they were great. Cool. Yeah. They gave quarters and you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kids are so flexible, you know? Yeah. You just tell them this is the way it is. They just like adjust. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were great. So, um, I told them it was going to be really fast and I don't think that they really got it like the birth would be. I think they were hoping it wouldn't be fast because, you know, more footage. Um, And so they were staying. Scott was sleeping upstairs in a bedroom, like permanently in my house. (laughs) (laughs) The crew was staying in a little Airbnb around the corner, like a mile away. And so, uh, yeah, ready to come at a moment's notice. And... Like, of course, 
it's the middle of the night and they had stayed up late because I was like, you guys are on call. You need to go to bed early. But they didn't, you know, know what that was going to feel like to be called really in the middle of the night. Um, so I called them at two or so. And they probably had only been sleeping a couple of hours. So they like came over and I could, I was in the bedroom and I could hear them come in and like start the coffee pot or something like some stuff was going on. And then I had a contraction and I'm loud. And, uh, then <laughs> after I was like, Whoa, you know, I could hear their feet. <laughs> like, start. <laughs> Oh no, it's already like that. You know, <laughs> got pretty quick. Um, and then they were just on it. They all just got into their places and it happened. They were amazing. Um, yeah. And of course, my labor starts so funny because this is the way things go in birth. So really, my labor starts by me just having like a lot of poop all night. And I'm like, I don't want to call them over. And like, I'm just pooping. Like, they're not going to come. I'm not letting them in the bathroom while yeah. I'm pooping. I'm sorry. I have my limits. You There's know? some boundaries there, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really want to invite them over to be like shuffling around in my hallway because I'm back to the bed, back to the toilet, back to the bed. And of like, of course, looking back, like, of course I was going into labor. Do I ever just poop all night long? No. Um, but I didn't know, of course, because I was in labor already. And I now looking at the footage that we have, because we had like a still camera set up in the bedroom, kind of capturing me all the time at night, just in case it started, which was another very interesting aspect of this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Permanent camera on my yeah. bed. It wasn't always recording. I think it could like, you could record retrograde two hours or something. Otherwise, it was just kind of running. Okay. So if you wanted That's to like pick cool. your nose or something like that, you had to do it. <laughs> Out of the- <laughs> I did not like there's that camera <laughs> up in the pointing at me. Oh, who knows what they saw? Yeah. I don't know if anyone could watch it or whatever. But when anyway, when I was watching the footage later, it's so clear I'm in labor. Like I'm like crouching near the bed and like rolling my hips around and everything. <laughs> and I'm the midwife. I don't know if I'm in labor. I'm not just not sure. And it's funny that, you know, that I would go have gone to so many births and have had births and still not know. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you don't know what you don't know when you're not in your mind. Well, your intellectual mind, are yeah. you, when you're slipping out into... into <laughs> La la labor land. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the labor, I think they were probably there two and a half hours or so. So the film really shows a good chunk of my labor. There's not like that much cut out. Yeah. And so you said there was, um, you did get the quiet times and the powerful roaring times like in the photo. So did they get managed to get a lot of those spaces and did you totally um, did did you find you had a really different labor being able to have those quiet times you know I didn't know I had them really until I looked at the footage like there's at one point I fall asleep and I kind of am asleep for a little while and I'm just like having this realization as I'm watching the movie like the, the footage, like, you know, the raw footage we were watching at the beginning of this process, like, oh my gosh, I did do that. I wonder, like, 
wonder how many women are really aware of it. I can't believe I did that. And that's what you wanted to do as well. I remember saying um, for <laughs> when you're up to your baby number two that you actually wanted to experience that. So, <laughs> yeah. And it's very clear. I feel, I feel like if anyone's ever read the holistic stages of birth, uh, they're going to feel like this is a very familiar story to them. Mm, wow. They watch this film. Yeah. It's and like you can pick the pieces out just so clearly. Yeah. So it just shows the powerful work, isn't it, that has been gifted to you. Mm-hmm. Mm. So post-birth, what was it? Well, what was it like birthing, like when your baby came out? And tell me how that felt. Um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting because I had specifically asked everybody, including my husband to stay back from me, um, because I wanted to be able to capture what it looked like if nobody came over, you know, if, if, if everybody waited for the mother to say, come here, cause she was back all the way back and she wanted, she was in the room and the people that were in the room were here with her. Um, because so many of the birth videos I see like on YouTube or whatever, you can see hands or someone talking like, Oh, you did it. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. And it's all very sweet, but we know what that looks like. Mm. And it's hard to find footage of what would the animal human look like giving birth? Mm. Not the social human, the socialized human. And, um, so I was very clear that I didn't want anyone to like come over or talk or do anything until I was kind of back in my body and in the room and was like, oh, everybody, look at my baby, you know. <laughs> and uh, so they did. And it was a long time. And... It was so trippy to be in that headspace for as long as it took to come out of it. It was very distorted and um, it, like it felt very long and I felt very present but also very far away. Like the baby was crying. She cried a lot when she was born. And so I could hear her crying from far away and it would bring me back in. And, um, I really had a hard time putting my pieces back together. And then you could see the moment that I do like uh, suddenly I'm in my body. Kind of like when a baby is born, sometimes they're like that. They're not really, they haven't put their pieces together yet. And they're kind of like, not sure if they're in their body. And then all of a sudden like, Oh, here you are. And it was like that for me. And it's really incredible to watch it happen. Will that, what you just described, will we see that on the film? Yeah, you will. Cool. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, it's one of the best parts of the film, I think, yeah. is the birth after birth scene. It's, yeah. I think it could shift a belief about birth in a way that the rest of the film, not that it can't, but this I think has really a strong potential for really changing philosophy 
changing what we believe even to be true about birth. Yeah, for so, so certain of that too. And just really tapping back into that animalistic nature that we hold, that primal nature, because, you know, I grew up on a farm and I was always told to keep away from any birthing cattle and sheep. You know, that's what my father said, like, and he always maintained that respect. And so I always knew that all animals should be left alone for birthing. Um, And it's funny, like, you know, we kind of do that um, for animals inherently, but why not humans? (laughs) (laughs) Right. What have we done? (laughs) Yeah. So it is really tapping back into that because that's your primal space right there. And that space, if it's honoured for you to come back into your body when needed, not to like snap back in and um, miss out on all those juicy parts of coming back in gently, um, can shift the way you parent and then again can shift the way you um, are with your community and then that flow on effect. But, you know, to be able to document that experience and share it with the world, like this is going to be powerful. I hope so. And I think there's the potential for people who attend birth to see that they don't, how many places that they don't need to do anything. Yes. You know, like you can still be, like, I don't think that anyone that was at my birth was useless. You know, they, I wanted them all there. I invited them all there. But I just wanted them to be there in a way that supported me. And I wanted to be able to do it to, to actually give birth and to follow my body. And I'm so grateful that they were able to give me the space because I know it's hard. You want, you know, the midwives call it sitting on your hands. And I think that's the sentiment. Like you want to step in someone's screaming or like, I'm crying. I had a really hard time pushing her out um, harder than I've ever had. And, you know, I remember at one point thinking, okay, if she doesn't move out this time, I'm going to ask the midwife, you know, and I like look up and I could see that she's looking at me too. Like, huh, you know, this isn't what I thought. And I was like, oh, she's not gonna be able to tell me anything. You know, like there isn't anything to tell me. I just have to keep doing this. And she did. She just stayed over there and let me do it. Cause like she knew that I would say, get over here if there was a thing I needed her to do. Um, and instead I worked it out myself, which is what I wanted. You know, maybe not everybody wants that, but I was very clear. Yeah. That, that, that is, that was very important to me. Yeah. Just, just like you said, um, you know, with, that time to blow on your boy's face and to go back into that um, state of consciousness again. You know, it's the exact same in labour to be able to, even just to glance at your midwife, you know she's there, she's a presence without a presence, but you just figured it out Mm -hmm. yourself and you had the space to do that. Um, It's autonomy, isn't it, in your body, um, your intuition, you're, you're flowing with it and you're not being ripped out of that and handing yourself over to someone else, if that makes sense. Right. Mm. It totally makes sense. And it's a, a enormous relearning to come to a, to a place where you can truly respect intuition as a valid form of knowing. 
our culture has really devalued it so much so that we like even second guess ourselves while we're having it, even though we're like, no, that's real. But like, gosh, is it really real? Yeah. And I really wanted to know that it was real. Yeah, you're exactly right. We've got a lot of work to do to to really tap back in. And it does begin in the womb space, doesn't it? Even from conception to be really intuitive mm. about um, conceiving your baby. And, you know, the moment you take a pregnancy test, sometimes you, you're sometimes handing yourself over. Um, it's just mm-hmm. really tapping into, and we know we have it. We've, in our, in our women line, in our mother line, we've practiced this for for mm-hmm. forever, you know. Um, so it's just right. tapping back into what we know and remembering um, what is in, within us. So true. Mm. You know, I, I can always tell I'm pregnant five days after I conceive because I have the quality of my dreams change. It's not the subject, but I wake up and I know, like, the dream is, I know details, like, uh, I can remember what the textures of things looked like in my dream, like, really detailed things like that. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That don't usually come up in my dream, or at least not in my conscious memory of them. And I wake up and I think, oh, okay. And I have to wait to take a test because they'll be negative. I've tried. Yeah. And they don't, they still show up positive when they're supposed to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that's probably how women have always known, right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. And we were once revered for this knowledge too. Um, mm. the, the other thing that I really stand for is uh, sacred reproductive rights, not to be owned by the state or by... A, you know, patriarchal society is that we, those dreams you would have had in reverence of this sacred child that would have been called in and you would have gifted that to your women folk and um, as you have done and, um, you know, processes could have been made around that. Your dreams are potent messengers um, to be gifted to, to, to a society and, that's our remembering, isn't it? To to tap back into that and just remember that we have this deep, deep, innate wisdom within us, and the whole conscious conception and uh, is not just conceiving a baby. It's how we are as women and come into this. So yeah, powerful stuff. So true. Yeah. This is why reproduction is so over controlled, right? Because yeah. they know that we'll remember. If we're allowed to, you know, if we're left alone, it won't take long before we're all the way back in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I say to women all the time that they're like, oh, it's fun. Like they're up to baby number three and they're like, oh, it's funny. Like I know that I'm pregnant because of ABC or I have this thing happen. I'm like, and they're like, oh, but you know, I just, it's not, can't be right. Or they'll just dismiss it. And I'm like, no, tell me the story. And I get them to actually talk about it. And then once they start talking about it, they start really honing in on it and the belief comes up and they're like yeah you know maybe yeah like it's instead of shutting it down which we're trained to do it's Mm -hmm. to talk about these stories because I love them um it's like I feel like a little child when people start telling me like stories like this oh I know that I'm pregnant because I have this dream or I do this thing or I can feel something in my left ovary or da 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 
Um, oh, that would be a good bedtime book, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah you know, totally. they have those stories you read to your children, all little fables. Yeah, that yeah. Would make a good one. Yeah, that little. But <laughs> oh, we're dangerous, aren't we, women? Yeah. Very, very dangerous. Yeah, in, a, in <laughs> such a powerful, loving way, aren't we? Uh huh. <laughs> so, is there any before we wrap up this um, beautiful conversation? Is there anything that you'd like to say in terms of what outcomes you want to achieve from you know the moment you said yes, I'll do this um, for this film for the wide world? Oh. Yeah, I guess there are, I mean, I guess there are just so many things, but I'll tell you something that happened to me yesterday. I received an email from someone I met through Scott and she watched the film with her family and her niece, who's 10 years old. And she said that after they watched it, her niece said, I'm so glad that they put the voiceover in with the movie because it helped me feel like that I could do it. Because if without the voiceover, I would have thought, well, she's just so strong and powerful. I could never do something like that. Wow. And I mean, she's, this girl's 10 years old and she sees all of that and understands that, yes, I am strong and powerful and I'm weak and vulnerable. And so is she. Yeah, beautiful. And so yeah, yeah. what else do I what else do I even need, Allie, to come from this movie? I feel like there it is. It has been given to me already. Yeah. Ex- oh, I love that. Yeah, exactly. And it's <laughs> you know, especially uh like a lot of people say and I say it and um with your children that we have these experiences to give to our children too, so that they can grow up just knowing that this is what we do and they are totally capable of it. Um, And just why I started this podcast, I said I don't care if it's just one person that shifts um, through Mm -hmm. other people's stories, you know, and the same with you. It's never just one. Yeah. Yeah. That's not even possible. Yeah, because she will go to her school and tell all her friends, hopefully, of this beautiful birth that she's seen. And so all those little school kids are like, oh, birth is this and, you know, um, mm-hmm. It's gross and dark. She'll be like, "No, <laughs> you should check this out. Like, it's beautiful." And um, and she's and not I, afraid of it. She's not afraid of it. Yeah. At ten, she's already not afraid, yes. and she knows what it's really about. Either it's not like she's a she's not afraid because she doesn't understand. She yeah. totally understands. Yeah. She's yeah. not afraid. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my. I mean, son. I just yeah. wept when I read that email. Oh, I bet. I bet. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I, my son's seven now and he's got to the stage where he's just, he's seen so many, <laughs> like heard so, so many of my conversations when my friends come around, um, seen so much birth videos. Mm-hmm. He's just walks in and be like, nah, he's just, <laughs> you know, it's just normal oh, to him birth. now. <laughs> yeah. Right. My I kids mean, are the same. <laughs> yeah. And that's just, I remember when he was at a little preschool, so it's like, a, oh, he was probably about five years old and uh, the teacher phoned me uh, the next day and she's like, look, I just have to tell you this, but one of the little girls there thought that babies came from storks still. And he's like, nah, they're like she bursted out of like um, vagina or something. And he's like, oh, yeah, and then like the blood will come out. And he's like, and she started, you know, she got really traumatised, this girl. And he's like, oh, it's all right. The blood's just, it all goes away. It doesn't stay. It needs the blood to get the baby out. And like he's telling her this whole 
like how birth rolls. And she's so this, amazing. This, this girl thought babies came from storks. So I think it's like, great. Okay, sit down. I have some things to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So for little males to to have this imprint is all the more important as well. So not just women, like little mm-hmm. males, females, um, all of us. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Emily. I'm so deeply honoured. What an enjoyable conversation that I've had with you. And I just thank you for sharing this. I can't wait now to, to watch this and to share it around. Yeah, I can't wait to share it with the world. I'm just so excited. Yeah, yeah, me too. So I'll release this um, before the film's out. So, yeah, um, tell me how people can access it. So we will be streaming from the website, which is www.thesearemyhours.com, beginning on May 13th. In the meantime, you can follow the Facebook page or the Twitter or Instagram. It's all these are my hours on across the three platforms and we'll be um, offering the details of the release as we get closer. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Did this episode tickle your heart, move and rattle you in its wisdom? I hope you resonated with the show please head over to the website circleofbirth.com for show notes, including my personalised take on the episode, pictures, resources, and how you can connect with a storyteller. Sign up to the newsletter. And most importantly, please help this show grow to its full potential of serving you in its ancient wisdom. Donations made easy via PayPal. All donations will be received with love. Head to circleofbirth.com slash donate. And yes, I'd love an iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we become. We honor you and empower you.